And happy Father's Day. Janine just told me I just received the first Father's Day present that was actually for me and not for her. Uh, <laughs> all the other ones I've received this weekend so far. I know who really likes them. <laughs> but happy Father's Day. We've, uh, we're doing a series in 2 Peter, so if you want to get your Bibles ready, we'll get to it in the middle. In a minute, it's uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, we're still working through, and we're going to be reading chapter 1 in a moment, but uh, over the last few weeks, I'm just doing a couple of uh, intros about our culture as a church. Uh, we looked at sort of our Sunday culture last week. I want to look at our, our ministry as a church, just briefly, uh, because here at Outlook, we believe that every member is a minister, uh, not just one, and uh, that every partner is a participant and uh, our focus is two ways. Primary, our primary role is serving as ministers of the church, reaching out to people far from God first, and also caring for the needs of one another within the church. Uh, that is, we have an outward focus. That's why our name is Outlook Christian Church. Uh, we have, we're praying that God will give us the Father's heart for those far from Him, alienated from Him, and that we will work as his ambassadors together with him to seek and to save the lost and uh, help them to come back into the family, uh, into his home. And so uh, what we see is every partner can be involved in ministry straight off when they become a partner of Outlook. And ministry is uh, not just uh, playing guitars or uh, doing data or things like that, but we see that this, this is our ministry. That is building relationship with those far from God, praying for them, sharing a verbal witness, inviting them to church, helping them to connect to God, have a relationship with Him, and then coming together with God's people to worship Him, to grow in their faith and then begin to serve and then to give and then to be part of the team reaching and developing others. And so that's what we see as our ministry and to help us in that, um, we have... Uh, impact cards that we use to put five names of people we're praying for, building relationships with and praying for them. And uh, sharing a verbal witness and inviting. We have other little cards up there with our contact details of uh, the church that you can uh, give out and invite to come along, whether that's to a, a night of lesions or a service or a small group or a, uh, a youth group uh, to invite. And then if they're interested in knowing more and they want to know God in a personal way, you can either get the Two Ways to Live app or we have these little booklets you can use uh, called Two Ways to Live to uh, help them to connect to God and uh, then come, invite them to come with you to worship God and meet others in the church family and to help them to grow. Uh, we have materials that you can work alongside them and help them to get to know God better uh, through His Word. So uh, that's the ministry we can all be involved in and to support that we do different things like running youth or we're involved in different uh, aspects of serving. But this is our ministry as a church, building relationships with those far from God, praying for them. And where our focus is on Friday to pray for those friends far from God and to ask God to give us opportunities to talk about our faith and then invite to come along and then have the privilege of introducing them, helping them to connect into a personal relationship with God and in worshipping with them, helping them to grow in their faith and they too begin to serve and to give and they too join us in reaching and developing others. And the question we're asking each week, if my life and attitude defined the culture of outlook, what would that culture be like? Do I have eyes and a heart for those 
far from God or just for myself. And our prayer is, may the glory of the risen Christ be felt and seen in this place of worship as we meet together. So let's pray as we come to God's word this morning. Father God, we thank you that you are here. We look forward to hearing from with you. We pray that you'll open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to hear and to understand what it might be that you want to say to us this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we have the next slides, please? Thank you, Thomas. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to ask uh, Ross to come and read this to us. He's spoken of as the, um, the big fisherman, uh, the fisherman that Jesus called to follow him and to be his disciples, uh, to be his disciple. And we're going to listen to what he has to say to us um, in the scriptures or in the passage or in the letter that he wrote. 2 Peter chapter 1 and reading verses 1 to 11. Thank you. Verse 1. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them in ne is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins." Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Ross. This morning, a little bit about how do I grow in Christian character? How do I grow to spiritual maturity? It's one thing starting the Christian faith, it's one thing believing, but am I going on in my Christian faith? And what's involved in growing up in spiritual maturity or growing up in Christian character? We looked at last week these verses. It says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through the knowledge of Him who called you by His own glory and goodness, and through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And we looked at who this Christ is, who lives in us when we put our faith and trust in Him, and we looked at the seven characteristics of Jesus Christ from that, the Christ of power, the Christ... Uh, who provides of generosity, and we looked at that last week. 
And so the power of God is active through Jesus Christ in your life. And Peter is saying, you have everything you need already to live a life that pleases God. You have everything available in Jesus, and Jesus now lives in you by His Holy Spirit. So you have all that you need. You have the great and precious promises. You share in the very divine nature. You have what you need to grow and develop in your spiritual life, to develop a a Christ life, to develop a character that, that reflects Christ to others. So how do we do that? And that's what we want to look at this morning. So how do I grow in Christian character? Well, it's not as the famous saying goes. You know, I don't know whether you've heard this, let go and let God. Well, in some situations that might be true, but if you're going to grow in Christian character, that's not what Peter is about to tell us. All right, you've received everything you need, now just sort of let go and be a sort of a sponge. You don't have to do anything, you don't have to be involved, you just sort of have to be a blimp or a blob and uh, God will do everything for you, it'll just happen. We'd sort of like that, I think, especially in in today's culture of instant everything, you know, just stick it in the microwave and press, you know, 10 seconds and zap, it's done and it's ready and we don't like things taking time, we want it to be instant and we want it to be straight away. And uh, so we tend to like this idea of spiritual maturity, just let go and let God and it'll just all happen. But is that what Peter says? He goes on to say this, after he's told us that in Christ and those seven aspects about who Jesus is, that in Him and we have everything we need to live a godly life, to have Christian character, he then goes on to make this statement, for this very reason what he's just said about Jesus and everything you have. For this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort to add to your faith. And then he lists seven things we're to add to our faith in Jesus. Make every effort bring in alongside, contribute to and cooperate with the Christ who lives in you. Make every effort. It takes work, it takes energy, it takes decision. Make every effort to add to your faith. The picture behind that English word is very rich. The English word is very dull, but the Greek word, and if you look into that, it, it tells a whole different picture. We just sort of add, thinking one plus two plus three. You just add it. Very simple, very straightforward. But the picture in the Greek is this. The word is, if I can pronounce it, epikorygine. And the picture is this. It has a vivid history in ancient Greek. In ancient Athens, they would put on all these plays and these dramas. I mean, they were huge productions in these amphitheaters, but uh, it would cost an immense amount of money to train all the choruses and the singers and the dramatists and to put these on. And uh, so a very benevolent, rich person uh, who was an Athenian would see it as a privilege and people would vie for the privilege of being able to provide and train and equip all these choruses, all these performers to put on these plays. And out of their own resources from their own effort, they would provide 
uh, the, the resources, the money, the finance behind these great plants. And these people were called the Choreagos. And this is the word that Peter now uses, and he puts epi in, that is, great or very generous Choreagoses, people who um, lavishly put time and effort into making things happen. And we're to be lavishly giving time and effort, not just add, lavishly provide everything that's needed to make this happen. Just like these choreographs would provide out of their resources uh, what would put on this huge play. They would be lavish in their provision and their finances to make these plays and these dramas possible. And so the picture became to lavishly equip. So much so the word went over into common language and so Peter uses it here, uh, to equip anything, to equip an army. Uh, anything you were going to equip, but it was the picture was lavishly equip for whatever was needed. And so Peter is saying, we need to make every effort to equip our lives to be godly. Did you get that? It's not just let go and let God and zap, it'll just automatically happen. But if we're going to go, grow in Christian character... We need to make every effort to lavishly equip ourselves. So God's generosity in giving us all we need does not mean it absolves us of any effort. We need to learn how to cooperate with God's grace. To work in with what He is already doing in our lives. To equip us lavishly to reflect the life of Christ, and he's going to tell us seven things that we need to cooperate with and work with and lavishly equip ourselves with if we're going to reflect Christ and have a godly character, and we're going to look at those. Not all seven today, just relax, we're just going to pick the first three, and after the baptism service next Sunday, the Sunday after, we'll pick up the last four that he talks about. I guess if you're going to use the parable of Jesus to understand what Peter is saying, and perhaps this is where he got the thought from. In Matthew, you read about the ten virgins, and five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. That is, they were given a lamp with a light. And those days, they were not like our lamps. You didn't plug them in and charge them up. You uh, had oil in it and a little wick, and you had to make sure that the wick was still working and the flame was going, and you had to keep filling the oil. And the ones who were wise made sure that they kept the oil up. Even though they were given the lamp, it was a gift. They had a responsibility. They had to cooperate. If that flame was going to stay there, they had to keep looking after the wick and making sure it was in the oil, and they had to keep filling up with oil. Others who didn't care were let go and let God. And went. By the time the bridegroom came, there was no flame. It had gone out because they hadn't worked or looking after it. And God is giving you the flame of his Holy Spirit, his very presence, his divine nature. But it's not so that we are, well, now I've got it, I can just go please myself and do it. No, we have to lavishly work at providing and equipping ourselves to provide the oil that keeps the flame and the light alive. And so what he goes on to say is this, it's more in this picture. It's a cluster of virtue. Christ is a center and our faith and trust in him and then coming out of that 
in a person of Christ within us, these characteristics need to be added. Faith and goodness and knowledge and self-control and more as we go on, seven of them. And so he says to us, how do I grow in the Christian faith? Well, I need to add to my faith. It starts off with faith. That is that trust and confidence in what Jesus has said, what God has said, because faith is always knowing what God says, staking my life on it, and living in obedience to it. That's how I begin the Christian life, and that's how I grow in the Christian life. God said, if I repent and believe, I'll receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of His Holy Spirit. That's how I'm born again. I turned to God and trusted Christ, and He forgave my sin and by his spirit came into my life and that's what we show in believers baptism which we're going to witness next Sunday afternoon that I'm dying to the old life and rising to a new life because I've put my faith and trust in the one who died and was buried and rose again it all starts with faith or trust but I need to add to that faith that's the beginning of the Christian life that's beginning but it doesn't end there I need to add to that faith what do I need to add The first word he uses is goodness. I need to add goodness, that divine quality. It means the fulfillment of anything. That is, goodness of a knife is to cut. A good knife cuts. Ever try to, you know, cut something and the knife's blunt? Well, what do you have to do? You have to get it and put it through one of those knife sharpeners and when you've generously worked on it, then it cuts beautifully and easily. That's what it's meant to do. That's its goodness. And I've just planted some roses. First time in my life, I must be getting old. (laughs) And I planted these roses, five of them. And uh, it had instructions. They're actually growing because I read the instructions. So my sons tell me, oh, you actually read the instructions, did you? Oh, they seem to be working. You know, just how to prepare the soil and how to prune them and how to put them in. And uh, yes, they're going well. You see, so goodness is that soil being fertile. It's doing what it's supposed to be doing. And as a Christian, we're to fulfill the purpose of God for our life and becoming Christ-like, like Him who is goodness or excellence. And so if you want a picture of this, is we need to add moral excellence just like Jesus, who is sinless and perfect. That's what we've got to work on adding to our faith, this moral excellence. And it also has a picture of courage, and it will take courage to add moral excellence in our society and in our world. To do what is right and do what is ethical and do what is moral, no matter what our friends will say, no matter what the media says, no matter what society says, we're adding, seeking to add Christ's goodness to our faith. So what's that like in real life? Well, as a Christian single, if I'm in a relationship and the other person in that relationship is saying, well, before we're married, if you really love me, then won't you be intimate with me? And you're saying, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I will wait till I'm married. And that will take courage, even if it means losing the relationship. Or if I'm a student and, you know, if I just cheat on this exam, I'll get an A and I need to get an A or or a particular score to get into that course that I want and I'm tempted by that. What is moral excellence? I need to work at lavishly add courageously that excellence or that goodness. And so I'll say no, even if it means I can't get the course I want, I will not cheat on that. Or maybe in business, 
there was a shady deal that if you know I could I could really get my business out of a hole, but I know what is being done is not right, is not moral. And I have to make a decision. I need the courage to add that goodness to my life, that moral excellence, that that purity. Add to your faith moral excellence, courageous goodness. And then he says, and add to goodness knowledge. And add to goodness knowledge. A growing understanding of divine principles and how to live the Christian life. Knowledge that leads to right decisions and righteousness in God's sight. You might say it's practical knowledge. It's a knowledge to know what to do in any given situation. Because as you've spent time reading God's Word and getting to know what God is like, you know how He'd want you to react to what the right decision should be in this particular situation. You see, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, there was a tree in the middle of the Garden called the Knowledge of Good and Evil. And what it was saying to Adam and Eve is don't, he was, they were told not to eat of, they could eat of any tree, but not that one. That is, trust God to determine what's right and wrong. Don't play God. And our society today is saying, just like Adam and Eve said, we can determine what's right and wrong. And we'll change names of things and change their meaning. We won't call it infanticide. We'll call it something else. And we won't call it what God calls it. We will change the name. And very often in, in our own life, we don't then have practical wisdom. Well, is this right? But everybody's doing it. What's right and what's wrong? Well, is it just what society says or is it just what the media says or is it just what my friend says? Or do you have knowledge? Have you lavishly worked at adding knowledge to goodness, to get moral excellence? How does that happen? By knowing more of the character of Christ and what God says can I touch that or not? Can I eat that or not? Is that right or wrong? What does God think? Not what I want, not what others think. And so I have practical wisdom in everyday life when decisions have to be made. There is a wisdom because I've saturated myself with what God says. And so I know what he wants. Goodness, add knowledge, and then self-control. Add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, self-mastery. The ability to take a grip of oneself. You see, the Christian view is when I give my life to Jesus, I'm not suddenly emasculated. I suddenly don't have any emotion or passion or feelings. It's not as if I become a wimp or a blimp or lose my virility. No, I'm a real human being. But then the Spirit of Christ calls me to have that under control. I need to add self-control. And unfortunately, the stats, and I thought I'd talk about this on Father's Day, because dads, we're sometimes the worst offenders statistically when it comes to not having self-control or self-mastery. I know it can happen the other way, but more often than not, it's us who lose anger and abuse with our mouths. 
It's us who lose our temper and punch holes in the wall or break things. And we blame everybody else. I can't help it. That's just me. Well, that's not what a Christian father should say or a Christian man to say. Because what Peter's saying is you can help it and it is up to you. (laughs) Because you've got to add to your faith self-control. You've got to work lavishly and hard to generously add through time and effort this ability to control your emotions and your passion and your desires. And he's saying you can because the divine nature dwells in you. Christ is in you. And as you cooperate with him, as you obey him, as your faith leads to trust in what he's done for you and what he's given to you, and as you live in obedience to what he says, then he will empower you to add self-control. You see, we may not have an achieving will, but we do have a consenting will. That is, God has an achieving will. He says, let there be light, and there was light. Divide the, the waters above from the waters below, and it happens. Wind and storm, be still. He has an achieving will. What he wills happens. But you and I don't have a will like that. We have a consenting will. And when we consent to His will, that's when we grow in spiritual maturity. And it's learning how to consent to His will that changes us. Add self-control. So amongst Christian men, there shall be no physical abuse. And no excuse for that sort of abuse, whether physically or out of the mouth, because we're adding in copious amounts through time and effort, self-control to the faith that we began with. Add to your faith goodness, moral excellence. Add to your goodness, knowledge, practical wisdom to know which way to go and what's up and what's down from God's perspective. And add to your knowledge, self Control, strength under control, power under control, emotions under control, passion under control. Yes, there's things you should be angry about, but it's under control. Yes, there should be passion, but under control. Under control. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is, work out what God has worked in. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good pleasure. It's not an either or, it's both and. We're in a relationship. We're in a relationship and it takes our consent and it takes our partnership in this. There is work to be done in growing in Christian character, working out what God has put in you, the gift of his Holy Spirit, his goodness, his self-control. Seen in the cross when the two thieves on either side were abusing 
those who had crucified them, even though they deserved the punishment. And the one who didn't deserve it, did not abuse, did not lash out, did not blaspheme, did not curse. But we'll look at his perseverance next time. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And that Jesus, if you put your faith in him, now lives in you and now lives in me. And we have got to work out that salvation. For it's God who's working within you. That's why Peter goes and says to us, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. And as I was thinking about this, what's an illustration? I thought of what's happened to me this week. I showed something gross last week. I won't show that again. But this week, if I'm looking a little bit red, it wasn't supposed to come out till Monday. But I went to those skin skin doctors and they cut one off here and they cut one off there. And then he said, I've got too many to cut off on my face. He said, if I cut off one, I'll just have to cut off another next to it. So he said, you can put on this cream and it can go for six to eight weeks and you've got to put it on twice a day and you go red like you've got um, shingles, you know, wherever the cancer is. Or you can pay a little bit more and it'll go in one week. And he said, if you get it done Thursday, then it shouldn't be showing till Monday so you can get through the first Sunday and it should all be have come out and be over by the second Sunday so nobody will know, except he didn't work Thursday, he only worked Wednesday. So I had to do it Wednesday. So yesterday it was starting to come out. So if I look a little bit red and scaly, I'll I'll try to put cream on it. Um, So he puts this cream on. First of all, what they do is they they sandpaper you down. I I gather, ladies, you know about this, but they sandpaper your face down and then they put this cream on and uh, then to activate it, you've got to do something. You see, so that was done for me. I just received it although the sandpaper wasn't so fun to receive and maybe repentance is not either. And then the cream was put on and that felt nice as he put all that cream on my face and on my head because I'm going bull up there and these things grow on there that shouldn't be. And then he says, to activate this so that it works, you've got to do something. You've got to go out in the sun, which seemed back to front, but go out in the sun and sit in the sun for two hours. It's not as easy as it seems when it's a hot day. <laughs> you can go under a tree for a little bit to cool off, but you've got to go out in the sun and sit in the sun and uh, for two hours to get this stuff to activate to kill the cancer cells. And then you've got to look after it uh, by uh, cleanser. And then, you poor ladies, you do that regularly, don't you? Think, yeah. You've got to do this cleanser and then you've got to put on this cream, I mean, a couple of times a day or when it gets scabby. And you've got to keep doing this as it goes, you see. But you see, I had to do something. It just wasn't all done. I would have liked it if I could just go in, stick my head in something, and it just goes zap, 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 and they're all gone. Wouldn't that be good? You know, but life's not like that. And growing in Christian character is not like that. Yes, there is something you receive, but it requires requires your cooperation with what you've received for it to be activated in your life. 
And Peter's saying that to us. You receive the divine nature. But to become like the divine nature, you need to add to your faith that you started with. Add to that. And we've looked at today. We need to add goodness, moral excellence, knowledge, practical wisdom, and self-control or mastery. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you've given us everything we need to live a godly life. But we ask for your forgiveness that we think that all we have to do is sit back and let you do everything. It doesn't require our cooperation or our obedience or our understanding or our time or our effort. But Peter, the apostle, through your word is telling us it does. We had to lavishly in time and effort add to our faith. So Lord, we pray that you'll help us whether we need to add moral excellence. We need to add that with great courage. Whether in relationships or in work, in studies or in just life. We need to add goodness being what we are created to be, showing the character of Christ. We need to add self-control. Not blame everybody else for our reactions, but taking responsibility for our emotions and our behavior and our thoughts and our responses and by your Spirit bringing them under control. Those powerful, strong, necessary attributes, but mastered. Especially, Lord, help us dads to have self-control, self-mastery in our words, in our thoughts, in our behavior, in our emotions, in our passions. And for the purpose, Lord, of being Christ-reflectors, growing into the image of the one who indwells us, that more and more over time people will say he's becoming more and more like Jesus and people closest to us will notice that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. May we cooperate with the spirit within to achieve that purpose that you have for us and we ask it in his name and for his sake. sing uh, you know, this last song uh, and as part of our worship there will be an offering bucket coming around your way uh, please stay seated for the first verse or so let the offering bucket pass or freely give or don't or if you're not prepared don't feel obligated in any way Riley will tell us when we can stand thank you